Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. This is Board Gaming with Education. I am your host, Dustin, and today we have a super awesome episode for you. Like always, we have a really really cool guest on our show, Alan from Tuesday Night Games. Before we get into that, we have a couple updates with Board Gaming with Education. The main one being World's XP. This is a gamification kit for your classroom to help encourage engagement and develop class culture, reinforce positive behavior. So you can sign up to learn more about the kit on our email list. We're always updating our landing page and that's worldsxp.com. You can check that out. We're always adding more information to that page. We're gonna update it and add a lot of new information in the next couple of weeks. So you can learn a little bit more about how to use the kit, what it's about and how it might help you engage your students in your classroom. You can find our email list through our Facebook group and that's game-based learning, gamification and other games in education. If you search that on Facebook, you'll find our Facebook group. There's a lot of great people in the community on there sharing different insights about game-based learning, different resources. So you can find our email list through there, or you can just go to worldsxp.com and sign up for the email list there. Also, if you are on our World's XP email list, you will also receive a monthly newsletter. And in that newsletter, it's packed full of different news articles that came out that month, different resources for for game-based learning or gamification and education. And we also highlight a Kickstarter game. So you can find a great board game resource to use in your classroom. But today's episode, we have Alan Gerding and he talks about a lot of great things on this show. He is all around great guy. He also does a podcast called Tuesday Night Games. So he is a psychology professor in Ohio, and he talks about some of the gamification elements he uses in his class, but it's really cool. We dive into some things outside of teaching, and we learn a little bit about his story as a game designer, and we learn a bit about the podcast, and I highly recommend checking out that podcast, Tuesday Night Games, spelled with a K, night, as in someone who defends the king and queen, and I recommend checking it out because I mentioned in this episode, I, I've listened to his show and I've gotten chills listening to some of the experiences that people have shared playing board games or the impacts board games have made on their life. So it's really cool podcast. So without further ado, let's hear from Alan so you can learn a bit more about him, his teaching and his board game company and podcast. So welcome to Board Game with Education. We have a very special episode today. We have Alan Gerding. He is the host of Tuesday Night Games podcast and co-owner of Tuesday Night Games. He also is a psychology professor in, I believe, Ohio. I hope I'm right there. Correct. Yes, Cleveland. Born and raised. Cle- Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm really excited to have him on the show because... I mentioned to him before we got started is Tuesday Night Games, the company was a big inspiration for board gaming with education and getting started with game-based learning in my classes. Uh, I first played their game Two Rooms and a Boom 
and uh, at a board game meetup and then eventually realized, oh, wow, this game, it plays a lot of people. I wonder wonder how I would do in class, how I could design it to kind of teach students some language outcomes with the game as well. So I have a lot to lot to thank for Tuesday Night Games and Alan. So Alan, that's my introduction. Would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners? No problem. You pretty much nailed everything. I'm really appreciative that you're giving me all that credit as the inspiration for gaming in the classroom because of two rooms and a boom. It was a lot of fun making that. And you, sir, need to give yourself some credit because you're Sir Shill. You're a knight from our podcast, the Tuesday Night Podcast, because you wrote in your story all about yourself in this podcast, which is why we gave you the name Sir Shill, because you shilled out your own podcast. Yeah, I, I might have taken advantage of your generosity and short storytelling. <laughs> You're totally welcome to do that, though. We loved it. And we don't even know why more people don't do that. Why don't more people totally use the platform to their advantage like you? I I think that's smart, Sir Shill. <laughs> well, I, I do want to get into your show because I, I love your show and I think it's really entertaining to tune in. Uh, it's one of the shows I do listen to every week one of the few board game podcast shows that I'm sure to turn in, tune into. Before we get into kind of you and games and education and Tuesday night games, our first segment question we ask our guest is, tell us about a time you were on the receiving end of learning something through games. Man, it's hard to come up with a really unique answer to that because I can almost guarantee the answer I want to give is the answer so many people give. The big thing for me, I remember in 1988, was it? Maybe it was 89, getting Hero Quest, Hero Quest, Milton Bradley, and getting to play that with my brother and his friends. And it was amazing because I am four years younger than my brother. And then, of course, his friends. So I looked up to them greatly, but here I was, I was Zargon the wizard, which equates to the dungeon master of this board game. And they got to choose their race where they were a wizard, barbarian, elf, or dwarf going in through the dungeons. So that really taught me, first of all, a lot of confidence because here I was this younger kid in charge of this entire game, but more importantly, their experience, the fun times that we had together. And also how to be prepared, how to be ready, and even how to role play a little bit, act. Because I had lines in the Game Master's book when they'd go into a room, sometimes a booming voice would come on and say, Heroes, you have triggered the trap of the Witch Lord, and now the undead have risen. So getting to do that at the early age of eight, nine years of age really was influential and really got me to not just love games, but also gave me confidence when, it, when I was dealing with people older than me. That's awesome. That's a really, really cool story. I wonder too, do you think that led to a couple of things, whether it be your career in game design, or do you use some of those skills you developed as a wizard in your teaching? Absolutely. I'm using them right now because I had to swallow my fear and anxiety take a breath, realize what I was going to say and say it with bravado because I was Zargon, the evil wizard. So those acting skills absolutely translate into acting in front of class, acting in front of potential customers when you're selling games, 
in acting in front of other people. Now I say the word acting, but I don't mean lying or being someone else. It just means finding that true voice within yourself that will most appropriately represent what you want to say. And as far as that inspiring game design, oh yeah, without a doubt, because some of my fondest memories are those rainy days on the weekends or summer where we're trapped inside and yet I got to be in charge of the fun. So when I design a game, what I want is people to experience what I experienced as a child and that is just that communal feeling you get. Because when I talk about the Tuesday Night Podcast, it's the podcast that's all about the stories we make while playing the games we love. And in my opinion, that's the whole purpose of games is to leave us with these very rich, memorable experiences of bonding with other human beings sitting across the table from you. So yeah, that totally gave me that seed that blossomed into what I is now Tuesday Night Games, without a doubt. Awesome. You have to tap into your Zargon when you're in the classroom. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is almost a one-to-one comparison in so many ways because I'm teaching my players what's in the next room, what their options are, but I'm also in charge of making sure that they know the rules correctly. If they're jumping over a pit or they're taking damage from an orc, I would need to know all of that. And that applies into the classroom where you really have to be prepared. You have to know what belongs in what topic. So when we get from one topic to the next, I have to reveal it all, but not just say it in the most banal, boring way. You have to sell it because I believe a good teacher isn't just someone who conveys the knowledge. That's what textbooks are. That's what the internet is. You need someone to sell it. I like to think of it almost as cooking as well, because a good chef doesn't just cook something that tastes wonderful. A good chef also is aware of the aesthetic feel of it, of the immersive experience that someone has while they're eating. So all these elements come into play when you're playing board games and hosting board games, but definitely when you're in command of a classroom. That's spot on. I really like that analogy. I think as teachers, we have to be aware of more than just the content we're delivering and how we deliver that content. We need to be aware of our students' emotional capacity in class that day, too. Absolutely. Well said, sir. So you kind of talked a little bit about how uh, Tuesday Night Games and Zargon the Wizard has led to your developing of skills and teaching. Does And I know on your podcast, you talk about the idea that you don't really promote your games in your class. I don't want to have a conflict of interest because the last thing I want anyone to accuse me of doing is wasting class time trying to peddle my wares. Like if I was a member of Amway or if I was selling some Jinsu knives, I wouldn't say, hey, extra credit if you try out my knives after class. And even though games have so much educational value in the classroom if used appropriately, I don't want to use my own games. That being said, do I use gaming in the classroom? Oh yeah, I definitely do. Example, I teach social psychology class. And we get into a section that's all about persuasion, fancy way of saying manipulation. So when we teach manipulation, I don't bring out two rooms and a boom. I just bring out classic old school werewolf. And we play a game of werewolf, but I tell people to go ahead and label exactly what persuasive technique that they're using that has been researched in social psychology. 
there's the foot in the door phenomenon or the foot in the or the door in the face phenomenon as well. These are very specific persuasion tactics that people use in the game werewolf or any social manipulation game, but also exactly what I'm trying to teach them in the classroom. So I don't play my own games, but will I play other games? Heck yes, I do, sir. I would uh, have loved to have sit in your class as an undergraduate in uh, your one of your psychology classes. I, all my psychology classes it was just a huge lecture hall, and we just it was like you said before, the teacher, the professor just gave us the knowledge, gave us the content. That sounds horrible. If you're ever in the Cleveland area, please come visit one of my classes. I'd be more than happy to have you in my classroom anytime, and I mean that sincerely. So just let me know and come on in, Dustin. Awesome. Thank you. I I will definitely take you up on that offer. I've also dabbled in gamification. Have you done any gamification in your classrooms? I've I have. I've done a bit because I teach mainly English language learners. So we did a Sherlock Holmes consulting detective and I gamified that as a part of students earning knowledge points throughout the semester. It kind of worked worked as participation points and nice as a detective group they could solve the case. That's really cool. I really like that. For my classes, I embraced the in-group, out-group effect, which is anytime you divide people into two different groups and they have to compete against any type of resources, it really evokes love for people within their own in-group, but also hatred. And I'm exaggerating. I'm using emotions of love and hate, but they identify more with their in-group and they definitely have this outgroup homogeneity effect, which is the fancy way of saying, oh, them versus us. They are all the same. They're all the worst. So what I would do is I would teach multiple sections of the same class. So I have my Monday, Wednesday psychology class, and I have my Tuesday, Thursday psychology class, and then I have my weekend psychology class, for example. Each one of those classes would compete for class points, which would actually act as bonus points in the class. What they had to do is they would have to name their class. They got their class nickname, like there's the bears, the eagles, there's dragons, there's lions, whatever they came up with. And actually they would go ahead and win class points, which they could use to buy different things. Like one of the first things they get is actual stickers where I would print out stickers for them. And it's almost eliciting gang warfare where if you're an eagle, like go eagles, And if you earn enough points, you can get the Eagle sticker. So people are like putting Eagle stickers on their folders and on their books. And then they'd be walking down the halls of the school and maybe they bump into a bear. Like, are you a bear? I'm an Eagle. You're going down because the competition came with test scores. So you would get a class point if you had the highest class average. So whichever class average had the highest class average would get a class point. You also had a class point for most improved class. So the class that went from one score to the next, you'd get a class point. Also, the class that had the highest single score would get a class point. And also, the class that had the highest of the lowest scores. And the reason I organize it that way is no matter what your class ranking is within your own class, you're important to the entire class. And I found it amazing because instead of people resenting the top performers in the class, they actually leaned on them a bit like, hey, we're counting on you. You got to do better than their smart kids. So get a perfect on this test. But also if you're the worst performing student in the class, people were counting on you too. Like, hey, Charlie, 
if you need help, let us know because I'm not sure if you're the least performing student, but if you are, we want to make sure that you at least get a better grade than the Bears' worst performing student. And even the class average makes a difference too. So every single student, as long as they're improving, you could get a class point and you'd earn different things, different names, different stickers, et cetera, for that, that actually could be transformed into bonus points for class. So it was really fun. And at the end, and I know I'm just rambling at this point, you don't want to have this gang warfare where the Eagles and the Bears and the Lions all hate each other. So instead, the last villain that they have to face is, I called it the dragon. And the dragon was the embodiment of all of the best previous classes. So now all three of the classes had to work together to get a better class average than the evil dragon. And they had to have a top performing student better than this imaginary dragon class. So instead of working against each other, now all these three classes would try to work with each other because they also all shared the same learning management system. At my college, we use Blackboard. So they all have the same discussion board. They all have the same assignment board. Even if you're in the Monday, Wednesday class or the Tuesday, Thursday class, you all shared the same public forum. And it seemed to work great. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it sounds like it would it would be really motivating for students both in each class. Like one problem I ran into when we were developing uh, World's XP. It's a gamification kit that I'm hoping to bring to teachers so they can uh, implement this in their own classes. Maybe someone that hasn't done it before or it provides some materials to teachers that maybe have done it and they want to try to add some things onto their gamification system. But one thing that we ran into was that we started using a leaderboard <laughs> And that's a big maybe no-no because what happens is the students who don't earn points become very demotivated in the class where the students who are earning points are, you know, they're way ahead of the lowest earning student. Yeah, I actually had a couple of companies bring me on for consulting because they wanted to bring gamification software built into their textbook system. So these are some publishers that I'm, I guess I won't name just in case I'd get in trouble with them. But they wanted their adaptive learning software where you could take online quizzes. And almost all of them had that exact leaderboard. And the first bit of advice I give them, I said, you have to get rid of that leaderboard. You have to, because students that don't even have a chance to get on that leaderboard, it actually demotivates them. You're killing the incentive. It's just a reminder that they can never reach that goal. What you need is this carrot in front of the horse that the horse believes they can get to. It doesn't make make the horse move any faster if you put that carrot two towns over. So make sure that carrot's right in front of the the horse. Yeah, I love how your your system also taps into the collaborative nature of the your classes. They are helping the lower performer uh, do better. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 also risky too. Because if I'm being totally fair and unbiased, usually it's obvious who the lowest performing student is. It is not always obvious who the highest performing student is because I don't tell them. I don't say, by the way, Billy blew it again. He got a 32% because we have FERPA. We have to protect the rights and privacy of students and their grades. But it's usually obvious because if you have a student that's on the every once in a while program where they rarely show up to class, students usually think, man, I haven't seen that kid in forever. He's going to blow it for the rest of our class. And then it's really hard because 
students will almost give up on trying to help the person who's performing the worst because that student's not even there. And that's why I wrestled with some type of attendance policy where you're only preview to the class points if you attend enough. And that way, if you're the student that never shows up, you don't even count. You're not even part of the class, basically. But that has its risks too, because then that student has no incentive outside of the actual education to come to class. And that's even another bigger conversation where it is shown in social psychology with this cognitive dissonance, the more extrinsic motivation you provide for people, the less intrinsic natural motivation they'll have. The more I pay you to mow my lawn, the actual less you'll want to mow my lawn. You'll want to mow my lawn for money. But if I gave you almost nothing to mow my lawn, you're thinking, I'm doing this because I'm a helpful neighborhood person. I like Alan and I like mowing his lawn. But if I were to pay you an insane amount of money, you would have no room to explain it that way. I'm only doing this for the dollars. It's like a lose-lose situation. But in reality, there's this delicate balance, which I don't think I've personally found yet, but I'm still wrestling to find. Right. I think it's important. Gamification a lot of times maybe leans on the external rewards, but it's it's important to figure out how, how you can tap into the internal motivations of students too. Yeah, I think it's good you have added like maybe I want to call it a handicap system for those students. Maybe there's something else you can do that would motivate students to attend class. So my response thus far has been this. I make sure that the gamification portion of the class is almost invisible. We don't spend more than five minutes every class talking about the gamification because I want the students to have the right not to give a crap about the gamification and just focus on the material in front of them. And if they want to do that, that's fine. You'll still get the class points and you're still participating whether you want to or not, but you don't have to worry about it because I want to make sure that the main reason we're showing up in class and talking is to gain that knowledge and to make it as practical as possible. And when it comes to my attendance policies, there is a big diagram here where I should say continuum with two different halves. On one side, you say you should make attendance as required as possible because statistics continually show that students that show up to class the most are more likely to pass and graduate and retain. And that's totally true. But in the other half is what we already talked about. Extrinsic motivation is going to ruin your intrinsic motivation. And I err on the other side of the continuum where my attendance policy is, I don't have an attendance policy. You only have to show up when you want to. You're not going to do well. And I even tell my students this the first day of class when we're going over our syllabus. I tell them, this is not a challenge. I'm not saying that could be you. You could be the first student ever to almost never show up to class and ace this class. It's never happened. And the reason it doesn't happen is not because I punish you for missing classes, but when you're in class, I'm basically telling you exactly what's going to be on the test, exactly what you need to know, and what information is valuable versus what information is just background material. I'm going to make studying easier for you the more you show up to class. And what is pretty interesting, and I'm going to show off here officially online on record, is that I was approached by the president of my campus and the dean of academic affairs, basically because they wanted to know my secret 
in my classroom, they said, you have the highest percentage of retention over any of the other professors in the college, meaning students that take my class tended to graduate more than any other students in the school. There was this common denominator of taking Professor Gerding's class. And I didn't even know that because that wasn't my goal. My goal was just to teach the best I could and to make the information as delicious and scrumptious as possible. But when I told them, I don't even take attendance, that was something they didn't want to hear because they're from the other side of the continuum. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. We tell students that they have to be in class. We assume that you had some amazing attendance policy. And my response was, I do have an amazing attendance policy. That is, come when you want to and only when you want to. If you're hungover or too tired, don't come to class sick. Don't come to class just to sleep during class. Stay home. Come to class when you think you want to be in class. And I have the best attendance records in attrition. I mean, not attrition, opposite of that, um, retention. So yeah, it's, and that's not me saying nobody should have an attendance policy. I'm just saying that's how I do things. Now, when I combine that with my gamification, I still haven't discounted the people that have bad attendance from participating, but maybe I should. Maybe I should. I don't know. Again, I'm trying to find that balance. Right, right. I think uh, maybe it relates a bit to game design. You just have to test and test again, and you get the feedback from one semester, and then you carry it over to the next semester. You take the parts that work really well. You leave out the parts that maybe don't. Yeah, it's a lot easier said than done, too, because you're not talking about a board game that takes... 30 minutes or two hours, maybe three hours. What kind of game are you playing? That's three hours. We're talking about 16 weeks right. of a semester. So I won't get results for 16 weeks. Maybe if it's summertime session, I can get it in 10 weeks. But yeah, I don't get that feedback for months and months. Right. And then with the, the retention rate and the graduation, you don't get that feedback for years and you don't know. That. I don't get that at all until someone tells me or I ask, basically. <laughs> I've never even looked at it. <laughs> all right. So I kind of want to go into Alan as the Tuesday Night Games uh, owner. Let me switch my hats. Yeah. <laughs> so before we go there, how have games made you a better person? How have games made me a better person? That is a great question, Dustin. Do you ask all your guests that question? I don't. This is kind of a maybe how I wanted to transition from you as a teacher. I mean, it's a brilliant question because, man, I, I believe I do have an answer. I have so many examples. So I, I guess I have anecdotes to explain how it's made me better. I played Resistance so much. Are you familiar with the Resistance? I am, yes. So the Resistance. I still think. It's a great game. I don't think it's a great game for me. And I don't think it's a great game for society. <laughs> this is why. I actually helped Indie Board and Cards. Travis Worthington is CEO of Indie Board and Cards. They recently bought Stronghold Games, blah, 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 blah. But anyways, they're the publishers of The Resistance by Don Eskridge. And The Resistance is a game all about blending in and lying and fooling people into trusting you. And it's especially brutal when you have the action cards in there where people can actually look at what your character card is, if you're a spy or not. So the resistance really teaches you how to be a fantastic liar and manipulator. And I'm already a clinical psychologist teaching psychology, so I already have 
some tidbits on persuasion in my belt, but combine that with practicing it. And I worked for the company at a trade show where I was teaching people. So all I literally did all day long was play the resistance with people. It's going to sound arrogant, but I got really good at it. And the one way you become a really good resistance player is you become emotionally manipulative, where if you get really angry, ah, people will fall in line because people are playing that game, not so much for fun. I mean, sorry, not so much to win, but for fun. Most people sit down, play a game and they say, hey, let's have some fun. I think you should probably examine yourself a little bit as judgmental as it may sound. If you sit down to play a game and say, hey, I want to win something. So we're going to play something I think I can win. What's going on in your life that you need a board game to validate your ability to win would be my question. But that is a case for some people. I think most people play a game because they want to have fun. And if you are basically a jerk during the resistance, yelling at people if they're accusing you of being a spy or yelling at people because they don't believe you, they will fall in line and start believing you because it's not worth it. They're like, hey man, I'm just here for fun. Sure. All right. You're not the spy. And then when it gets revealed at the end, ha I was a spy. I won. The question to ask is, did you really win? Because look what it took for you to win. You yelled at Susie, yelled at Billy. We all thought you were really angry and emotionally hurt here. At one point, you were crying because no one believed you, but you were lying the entire time. Did you actually win? Maybe the game, but I don't think you're winning at life. And so the resistance really taught me that there is a darker way to win some games, and it really highlighted, wait, 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 whoa. I'm here for the opposite of that. I don't want to ruin people's times. I want to I want to enjoy the time. I want to feel closer to people after a game, not further away from someone. So that's why we designed two rooms in a boom. And I hate saying it that way because it makes it me sound like I'm saying our game's so much better than the resistance. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying two rooms in a boom is better than resistance or werewolf or things. It is different than resistance. And my personal gripe with resistance was my own playing style brought out the darkest part of me out. And what I wanted was a game that brought the best parts of me out. And so I really try to gravitate towards games that are like cooperative games, I think are gold. I love cooperative games, Dustin, because when you play a cooperative game, when you're done, it's this togetherness like, oh, we were all together in this and we almost made it or we made it. Oh, my goodness. We're all together. Billy, oh, my. You had me worried for a second there, but we pulled through. Oh, and Sally, the thing you did was amazing. It's this great togetherness experience. So I think games have really time and time again made me question why the hell am I sitting here playing this game? And time and time again, the answer is for the wonderful, amazing personal experiences you have with the friends sitting across from you. I love that. That's a really great story. I think it really tells the story of Two Rooms in a Boom too, because that's kind of what, after after you play a game of Two Rooms in a Boom and everyone's revealing where the president and the bomb is, there's that moment of, oh, wow, you were in that room when I was in this room. And we're kind of going through the experience of that. that short, it's a short game, but the the experience is really great. The way I pitch it, and I explain it, is it plays like a cooperative game. Because in the reality, when you're playing Two Rooms in a Boom, all you're doing during that time is trying to find your fellow teammates 
and then work with them. Hey, I'm on blue team. You on blue team? No, you're not on blue team. Do you know who is on blue team? Thank you so much. Hey, you're on blue team, right? Okay. Hey, let's talk together. And so by the end, all you've done is found your friends and try to scheme together with your friends. So it's not this dirty solo action of, uh, and I'll give resistance the credit of that. When you're a spy with someone else, it is a bonding experience between you and the spy, but it could be a tearing apart experience. We'd like to say we want to build bridges and not burn bridges. And I think Two Rooms in a Boom really tries to do that. At least that's what we try to do when we design Two Rooms in a Boom. Yeah, I don't think I can imagine any any bridges being burned play, playing that game. So You'd be surprised. People still manage to do it, but... Uh, that's probably in any game. And we actually have in a lot of our rules, if you read our rules, we say, hey, if you have a player that's doing this or doing that, you may want to question whether you should be playing this game with that person. (laughs) That sounds really exclusive and mean, but those are for the rules of like, if someone is not happy with having a tied game with another person or sharing the victory, then maybe you shouldn't play with that person because that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Ah, I'm not going to be happy and no one else is going to be happy because I'm not happy. Right. Don't play with yeah, those I people. Think, I think some of those things might be outside of the the idea of the game a little bit. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, here's another pro tip. Don't play games with someone who doesn't want to play the game. If you say, hey, would you like to play this game? And they say, no. And you ask them again, are you sure? I think you'd have fun because of these reasons. They say, I really don't feel like playing a game respect that similarly respect when someone is not in an emotional place to play a game either right a lot easier said than done true you always want that that fourth player i think so tell us more about tuesday night games how what is the company and how did it get started sean mccoy is my business partner best friend we met at a game trade show gamma in las vegas Vegas, baby. And we had an amazing time in Las Vegas together. And when I met him, I was just an independent game designer trying to get publishers to publish my game. He was the lead developer, for lack of a better term, for Arcane Wonders, which makes Mage Wars. And I was a playtester for Mage Wars. So I actually was hired to do the tutorial videos. To this day, if you look up Mage Wars and you watch tutorial videos, you'll see me, Alan Gerding, hosting the Mage War videos. And we got to know each other through that and had a great time. And Sean came over for my engagement party all the way to Cleveland. He's from Dallas. And he flew into Cleveland and we had a great time. And as I'm cleaning up this engagement party, because all we did was play board games, the entire party was a weekend long board gaming fest. He said, hey, let's make a game together. I said, what do you want to make? And he had this idea of some hit and roll game like Werewolf or The Resistance where there were two different play areas. His original idea was it was like a bank heist and there's hostages in the bank vault, but there's other people outside and who do you send outside? So I think you have something here. And so we talked about it. And by the end of the evening, we had in our hands, no joke, we we made these cards and rushed it out because the next day we drove to Michigan for protospiel. So when I say we made two rooms in a boom within 12 hours, that is not an exaggeration. We made two rooms in a boom in 12 hours. We refined it and tweaked it and play tested it and changed so many things throughout 
the next couple of years. But the original first game of Two Rooms and a Boom, which still had the premise of bomber, president, two rooms, bomb, president together, one condition, that has been from less than... 12 hours of working together. And we went to, it was like a late night FedEx shop and we ran them through the printer and we just randomly grabbed Google images and try to print them out as quick as we can and took it to Protospiel the next day, a little sleep deprived. And everyone seemed to love it at Protospiel. And in fact, there was one publisher there, James Matthey, who recently passed away. So my heart goes out to James Matthew and his family because I consider him a friend. He was the first publisher that said, I will publish this thing for you, but there's going to be other publishers interested. But here's my offer. And he was right because other publishers gave us an offer. And I think that's a rare thing when you have multiple offers from different publishers on one game. And we made the bonehead move of saying, why don't we just start our own company instead of selling it to someone else? So Sean quit his job and I I reduced my hours and we went ahead and brought together Tuesday night games named after the fact that I used to have a game night every Tuesday night. So we ran the Kickstarter and it was successful. And that was the birth and genesis of Two Rooms and a Boom, still run by Sean McCoy and Alan Gerding. That's really awesome. Do you think it was a good decision looking back and deciding to go with your own company instead of publishing it through another company? So a very difficult question, Dustin, because if I could go back in time, there's definitely things I would do differently. But getting into a partnership with Sean McCoy is not one of those regrets because we learn so much. I can't imagine my life not co-owning this company together. Even today, today, we have had so many things come up in the company that we've been talking about, negotiating about. It's a type of marriage. So when I asked Sean and Sean asked me to partner up in a company, no exaggeration is a marriage. Like, hey, for the unforeseeable future, will you be in contact with me for very difficult decisions and traveling and expenses and trials and tribulations for the unforeseeable future? You want to do that with me? You're getting down on one knee and showing them a ring at that point. And I said, yeah. So you asking me, do I regret publishing through Tuesday Night Games is basically asking, do you regret proposing to your wife? No, I don't. If I could do it again, would I do it differently? Absolutely. We've learned so many lessons, so many lessons in manufacturing and fulfillment and shipping and how to interact with people on Kickstarters. The lessons never stopped coming. I know more this year than I knew last year. And to think of how much I knew when we originally started the company seven, eight years ago, it's ridiculous how much more I know now. So I think the real question is, if I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, absolutely, I would still do it, but very differently. Right. You might save six or seven years just hopping right into, (laughs) fast forward to now. Yes. Yeah. And I could bore you to death with all of the mistakes that we've learned from. As a soapbox moment, here's something that I've said so many times before. And I think if you know me, you know that this is my big lesson that I want all of the world to know. And I know I'm not alone in this, is that I wish that we can continue to live and thrive in a society where we are free to make mistakes instead of afraid to make mistakes. And that we're not ashamed of those mistakes 
because people are not afraid to call us out on those mistakes so that we can learn from them. So I think it's important to be creative and free enough to be willing to put yourself out there at risk of making mistakes. And I think it's important that people can point out your mistakes so that you can learn from them. And it's a feedback loop. It really is. I'm going to try something. Well, here's the mistake. Okay, I'm going to learn and grow. So I'm going to try this instead. Okay, here's some more feedback. Well, then I'm going to change it this way. And that never stops. And I think that is very human. That's ideally what we do as human beings is live and grow and learn and adapt. And the same is true for company entities. So yeah, I mean, there's some mistakes we made. I'm flat out embarrassed about. And the only thing that really saves me from being truly ashamed is knowing that I've learned my lesson and I'll do my do my best to make sure we never make those same mistakes again. Right. That's awesome. I think that's a really great motto as a company owner to live by too, because that only makes you a better company. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so you have uh, Two Rooms in a Boom. What are some other games Tuesday Night Games does? Terms and a boom was game one. Game two was Anthony Birch's World Championship Russian Roulette. We then came out with an expansion for Two Rooms and a Boom, Necroboomicon. Game three, Matt Fantastic, That's Not Lemonade. And I'll say game four with a question mark because it's not a tabletop game. It's a role-playing game. It's Sean McCoy's Mothership. Mothership is his role-playing game. And by the way, let me tell you, it's been nominated for, I believe, I, I think it's three. I want to say four. Man, I'm embarrassed because this is the first time I've announced it. Three Any Awards, meaning including best game, best role-playing game of the year. I'm rambling and I'm stum- stumbling, stam- stammering because Sean did such a good job with Mothership and everyone appreciates it and sees it. And we're floored that we're up for so many awards. It's really cool. And it's a totally different type of game experience. When people come up to our booth, you can almost tell if they're a role player or if they're a tabletop gamer. And I know there's plenty of crossover between the two, but usually people either walk up right to Mothership or they walk up right to Two Rooms in a Boom or That's Not Lemonade. It's it's like this split in the company. It's almost like we have two separate companies now. It's really cool. There was a recent, uh, I guess, I'm I don't play a lot of RPGs. I'm actually excited because Mothership might be the first RPG that I Game game master? Least, <laughs> yep, yep. Game master, dungeon master. In Mothership, we call it a warden, but go on. Warden, okay. So what, I can't, I think it's, is it, uh, oh man, I can't remember the name of the Pound of Flesh. Pound of Flesh, the first adventure? Yes, yeah. Pound of Flesh, oh, I'm sorry. Pound of Flesh is the second adventure module. The first one is Dead Planet. So uh, Pound of Flesh should be out for Gen Con coming up in August. You can currently get Dead Planet uh, pretty much anywhere at our website, ChooseNightGames.com. But what's your question? Dead Planet, you want to know if you can play it? Yes, you can, sir. Yeah. No, no, the, that's uh, not Dead Planet. The Pound of Flesh will be the first one, because I backed it on Kickstarter, it'll be the first game. I guess Mothership will be the first game that I I game master. Wow. I want to try to try to do that this August before I leave Taiwan with our... Because I just started playing RPGs this past summer, so... Or last year was the first time, yeah. Well, welcome to it. And if you have any problems, comments, questions, or want any advice, don't hesitate to ask because I want your mothership experience to be as good as it possibly can be. But I would make sure your players know ahead of time that the chances of their survival is very little, (laughs) not to get too attached to their characters. Okay. 
Yeah, because it's sci-fi horror. And we all know that in horror movies, people die. Right. So your characters are going to die. Yeah, I listened to a, your podcast about the, the systems, and I, it sounds really cool. I think maybe you'd do a better job at explaining. I think uh, you could either get scared. Yes. So you're talking about the stress system. So not only do you have to worry about your physical health, but you have to worry about your stress because nobody is really perfect at being a cool cat under pressure, especially if you're continually under pressure, seeing things you've never seen before. So not only can you lose health, but you can gain stress. And the more stress you gain, the more likely you're going to fail a panic check. So when something really horrific happens, some unidentified creature comes pounding through a metal door or someone has something explode out of their back and crawl across the room, you do a panic check. And the more stress you have, the more likely you're going to fail that check. And when you fail that check, a whole bunch of different things can happen, including becoming homicidal, where you just have to attack the nearest person to you, which could be your own crewmate. It could just be getting a nervous tick or being anxious on edge, losing advantage, or you could just die of a heart attack. There's a whole bunch of different things that can happen. So not only do you have to worry about your physical well-being, but as true in real life, you also have to worry about your mental health. Yeah, it sounds sounds really cool. I'm excited to dive into it this August. Save, solve, or survive. You can only choose two. Meaning if you save, it means that you completed your mission. You saved the day. Solve means you know what the heck is going on. What is that pounding on the outside of the spaceship? What flew out of that guy's back? Survive, meaning you live. It would be great if you could do all three of those things. I completed the mission successfully. I know exactly what was going on, and I survived. But that is not an option. You should only try to achieve two of those things. Too. Yeah, that's that's I love that. That's really cool. Tuesday night games. You also do a podcast, and I like I mentioned, I love tuning into it each week, and it's a lot of fun. I think I listened to it a, a few times, and I've gotten the chills listening to some of the stories that your guests share on the show as well. Whoa! Thank you. That really validates the effort of doing that. So thank you so much for being a night too. There's nothing I love more than when people write in emails or send in their knave to knight's mission, going from a listener, which we call a knave, into a knight who actually contributes to the stories on the podcast, like you, Sir Shill. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's. I mean, like I said, it's it's awesome to listen to. So maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about it. I know there's a lot of segments, and if I could use one of your segments on our show. Um, You have the elevator pitch. Oh, man. Yes. The elevator pitch. The dreaded elevator pitch. You have a minute or less to explain the spirit of a game. Why do we say the spirit of the game? Because you're trying to sell this to a movie producer. You're trying to sell it to players, and you don't sell a game by explaining the rules. Just the spirit of the game. Oh, wait. Did I just ruin? Should I have explained the elevator pitch in an elevator pitch? (laughs) No, no. That's good, because maybe you couldn't let our listeners know a little bit about what it's like on your show. Maybe you could do an elevator pitch for your show. Okay. Well, the way we do elevator pitches is we also get a character that we have to improv. So it's not just me in this elevator. It's me as someone or something. So what do you want me to try to be, Dustin? So I'm going to say I was going to give you a shill. I was going to have you do it over the top shill, but I think Maybe Buzz Lightyear might be more fun. Man, that's going to be rough. I haven't seen Toy Story 4 yet. 
but I'll do my best. Tim Allen. Okay. <clears throat> Ding me, Justin. <laughs> to infinity and beyond. And also wonderful stories. Oh man, I don't do a good Buzz Lightyear, but here I go. Still doing Buzz Lightyear. Ha ha. And if you want to have adventures and stories with me, you should check out the Tuesday night podcast because it's not about reviewing games. No, that's for other review sites. It's not about the opinions of others on other weird topics like video games. No, that's a video game podcast no in this podcast we're gonna go beyond the reviews and talk about the stories what happened during the game what happened after the game ha and with that being said i hope you listen to the tuesday night podcast <laughs> ah, wing spread <laughs> that was great i mean i i think you did a pretty good voice i mean i, I don't know tim allen <laughs> just bravado boisterous i i can't do tim allen that was a tough one and that's kind of the allure to it is we're not professionals and our guests are usually people within the board gaming industry they're not comedians they're not actors so you'll hear like i remember one elevator pitch in particular someone was supposed to be a bear and literally they said rar i'm a bear and then they just did the pitch normally and at the end they go rar i'm a bear and that to me was still hilarious because of just the total lack of bear effort <laughs> that's awesome so thank you again for being on the show i have a we have a couple more things to go over the final segment question oh oh the final segment this question is if you were stuck on a deserted island what three board games would you bring and you can have the number of players you need to play the game with you whoever they are but as soon as the game ends they vanish off the island wow so basically you're just setting it up as what are the three games i could play again and again and again so don't try to meta this where i'm thinking well what game could i play that would actually rescue me off this stranded island is that what you're getting at Right, you could you could do that though if you want. It's up to you. Oh, if I wanted, so I could say, uh, the game I want to play is um, telephone with walkie-talkies, and <laughs> I want to play King of the Dock on a floating raft where we. I get it, but that's not really a board game. I'm not gonna try to cheat it. I'm yeah. just gonna shoot straight. First one that comes to mind, easiest answer for me is Plato 3000, which is very difficult to get a hold of. Plato 3000 is still my favorite game. It is uh, Gin Rummy with abilities. So if you've ever played Gin Rummy, you have a good idea of what Plato 3000 is like. But if you imagine that when you create a set, like, oh, I have three kings, you put it down, instead of just putting down like three kings, now you're able to draw three cards instead of two cards on your turn. It's really cool. And I've already played that a ton, and I can see myself playing that for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm probably going to be boring here and say, oh, two rooms and a boom for sure. Because not only is it my own game, which is self-relevant, but if I get to play with 30 players, 
for 15 minutes, that'll keep me from being lonely. Absolutely. Because imagine only being able to see two to four people at one time. The more the merrier. So I would say two rooms and a boom. Absolutely. And I guess another way of... This is the Venn diagram overlap of cheating versus legitimate answer. I think in the same idea of two rooms and a boom, I would go with a mega game. Because a mega game is so many people, but specifically if the mega game was themed, how to escape an island. I'm not sure. Have you ever done a mega game, Dustin? I haven't, but I, I did just listen to your episode about the mega game by Sir Winnie, I think. By Sir Winnie, Ben Canellis. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mega board game. He wanted to make that clear distinction, though. Right. Absolutely. But imagine you're playing with 100 people. Each of you have different jobs. Some of you are newspaper writers. Some of you are UN directors. Anyway, I can imagine playing this huge meta game, which is nothing but uh, over... It's just nothing but an overcrowded role-playing game was really what it is. If I were to explain metagame in an elevator pitch, I'd say, hey, you know role-playing games where you've got this game master and four other people pretending they're doing stuff? Well, imagine that, except instead you've got 13 game masters and 100 people. Woo! And that's basically it. And instead of having a board, you're actually using other human beings. Because that's highly social as well. And I think mega games allow you to play so many different variants of the same thing. Like Sir Winnie in our podcast episode talked about the Cold War version he played. He played the Kaiju Crisis. So I imagine just changing the theme. So it could be continually fresh every time. And I, because I was originally going to say a role playing game, maybe even Mothership. But again, I already said two rooms and a boom, and I think that's selling our stuff a little too much because I want to be very sincere. I think Mega Game has enough variability to it. You know, is that a cheat though, Dustin? Because can I say role playing game, or do I have to specifically say Dungeons and Dragons or Mothership? Because saying Mega Game is kind of like saying role playing game. Ooh, uh, we're a little lenient on the rules, but. Uh, mega game it is <laughs> yeah yeah just go with go with mega game that works sweet cool so we've adapted it because we just recently we've had a guest on here who plays a lot more video games and he just recently got into board games but he designed lessons based around video games so he threw in a couple video games instead of board games ah yeah that's lenient for sure lenient and, yeah. where the hell do you plug these games in the palm tree i don't <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, very cool. Yeah. So, Alan, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, if you, if anybody wants to find you, where could they reach you and what is coming up with Tuesday Night Games? Whew. The best way to reach me is through the company, Tuesday Night Games. You can follow us on all the show, <laughs> all the social media at PlayTKG, which stands for Tuesday Night uh, Tuesday night games. The K is for night because it's night spelled with a K. You can email me directly, podcast at Tuesday night games. Also, coming up, that was your other question? Yeah. We have a couple of cool things coming up. Which one shall I share? We have Tooth or Bear coming up. Tooth or Bear is a truth or dare game for family friends it's full of games uh, full of dares and truths that you'd actually want to do and that really embodies what i previously talked about 
in creating memorable experiences with your friends. It's very game-like. We call it a chat and chill game, where basically it's a game that you play when you just want to chill out and chat with your friends. And that's Tooth or Bear by Jennifer O'Bully. So we're excited about that. What about you, sir? If they want to email you, how do they keep in touch with you? So we're podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com and BGE Games is our social media handle or Board Gaming with Education. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually excited for Tooth or Bear because I think it might have a good use in a language exchange environment as well. So I'm excited to see. The game is literally either sharing stories from your past or creating a new one right there and then in front of everybody. It's that simple. Like, oh, well, I've got to do something that we'll never forget, or I'm going to talk about something that we'll now never forget. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I think it could have some applications. I guess I'd have to see. Absolutely. So again, thank you, Alan, for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun to have you on, and I always look forward to tuning in to your podcast, and I hope our listeners take a listen too. Thank you for having me, Dustin. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening and until next time.